One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. He's been a skeptic when it came to the paranormal. Ghosts, ghouls, and unexplained phenomena were never my cup of tea. So when I joined the police force, I never thought I'd have to face them head on. My name is Jenny Martinez, and this is my story. I was a rookie police officer fresh out of the academy and eager to prove myself. My first assignment was in a small, sleepy town called Oak Hollow. It was the kind of place where everyone knew each other and nothing much ever happened. I was excited to start patrolling the streets, and I couldn't wait to make a difference in the community. One night, while on my usual patrol, I noticed something strange. The air felt heavier, and there was an eerie silence that seemed to cloak the town. I brushed it off as my imagination running wild and continued my patrol. As I turned down an old cobblestone street, I saw it 
a ghostly figure of a woman dressed in white standing by the road. My heart pounded in my chest, but I convinced myself it was just a trick of the light. I blinked and she was gone. Little did I know this was just the beginning. Over the next few weeks I encountered more inexplicable events. Objects would move on their own. Strange noises echoed through the night, and I would see apparitions of people long dead. I couldn't deny it any longer. Ocala was haunted. Desperate for answers, I reached out to a local paranormal investigator named Thomas. He had been researching the town's history for years and agreed to help me get to the bottom of these strange occurrences. Together we discovered that Ocala was built on the site of a tragedy that happened over a century ago. The town's founders had made a pact with a malevolent spirit, and in exchange for power and wealth, they offered the souls of their descendants. The spirits were trapped in limbo, unable to move on until the pact was broken. As a police officer, it was my duty to protect the people of Ocala, even if it meant confronting my own fears and skepticism. Thomas and I devised a plan to break the pact and set the spirits free. With the help of ancient rituals and Thomas's knowledge of the paranormal, we confronted the malevolent spirit. It was a battle of wills as we struggled to release the trapped souls and, and banish the evil entity from Ocalo once and for all. As the night wore on, I could feel the energy shift. The air became lighter and the oppressive atmosphere that had haunted the town lifted. We had succeeded in breaking the pact and setting the spirits free. My time in Ocala changed me. I went from a skeptic to a believer, and I learned that sometimes the most important battles are fought against forces we cannot see. The spirits of Oak Hollow may have been put to rest, but the memories of that time will stay with me forever. I've never believed in God. It was all too convenient for my liking. The songs and the stories were all wrapped up in putrid desperation that made it hard to believe a word of it. Who would ever come up with such an idea as a divine being that cared equally for seven billion, not excluding those long dead and waiting to be born, of his children was doing nothing more than shouting to the void or begging for therapy. At least it sounded that way to me. What other explanation was there when children were starving or being locked in cages for daring to cross a man-made line of no crossies? How was I supposed to believe that famine and diseases were trials brought to pass by a benevolent being, while people bombed and gassed and starved and enslaved? In the past, when children woke up not knowing if they'd be shot dead for pursuing an education, in the now the pain and suffering that came with simply being alive, it did not seem like the work of a benevolent leader of any sort. Honestly, it appeared like tyranny, a child abuse even, and I personally never subscribed to it because of that. While not believing in that, also came the belief of not believing in ghosts, not believing in an afterlife of any sort, and being absolutely tickled pink by the idea of inherently nasty, chronically evil beings, demon. If I could not believe in the absolute good that old women ensured me existed in a god nobody had ever seen, I wasn't sure why they thought they could convince me of the absolute evil that was supposedly too heinous to comprehend but also no match for the goodness that was comprehensible. 
It did not make a lick of sense. And so, as a result, I left the church before my voice finished deepening and invested my time and effort into something that could, I feel, make a difference. I donated my time and my money in an attempt to help the helpless instead of waiting for some fabled generous deity to help them in my stead. And when I was old enough, I joined the police. Academy in an attempt to actually make a difference. Sure, I smoked. I drank. I indulged in women and men. But when bad things came, I was the first guy people called out to for help. I like to think that if a god does exist, he's simply been playing hooky these past few hundred thousand million years. Anyway, me being too nice is pretty much how I got myself into this mess. I was working the night shift on Saturday. Randy's Saturday night shift, and just so we're clear, I was never meant to suffer this way. Because of my worsening eyesight, I was pretty much removed from the nighttime rotation in an effort to avoid having a half-blind cop having to chase some speeding dipwit down a half-lit Kentucky highway. If not for the fact that Randy's wife had suddenly gone into labor, I never had my faith shaken. You see, it was halfway through my shift. My eyes felt like they were full of sand at this point. My partner, who I'll call Vanessa, suggested we stop for a coffee, calling me a hundred variations of old all the while. But before we had the chance to pull into the only open establishment within a six-mile radius, McDonald's, of course, the radio began kicking up status in a report of domestic abuse. Apparently, neighbors were having a barbecue, and they had heard the woman that lived in the house to the left screaming bloody murder. When they'd gone over to check on the woman that lived there at the house, things had gone silent, and they'd been left standing at the door talking to nobody at all. We pulled into the neighborhood in record time. Leaving the car with our hands already hovering at our belts, the door easily gave beneath our combined force. When the sound ceased its echoing, I led the way into the house, a darn ear holding my breath as I tried not to make a sound of anything. I'd been to graveyards with more life and stillness, and it also made me nervous. Civilians had not reported gunshots or slamming unless he strangled her, and there was no sign he'd killed her at all. What Wayne meant most nervous, though, was the dust that coated the counters and furniture. It was so thick I could draw it in. There was no evidence that anybody at all had been there in months, which meant that we'd either been set up or the neighbors who were delusional. Vanessa and I combed the house from top to bottom, searching very carefully for signs of struggle, and when we found nothing, we headed back to the front. Our shift was nearly over at this point, and we did not have the energy to press for details. A door swinging open to my left gave me a moment's pause. We'd been so sure to close each door behind ourselves, as it was the first thing we learned in police academy. Do always be hyper-aware of your surroundings and alert. You never know when things may turn awry. I was quick to chalk it up to something loose in the hinges. Vanessa shuddered and went for the rosary she kept in her front breast pocket. She held it so tightly it was nearly convincing. Almost. Maybe the snorting was unnecessary. Maybe, perhaps, if I hadn't chosen to be such a pig about being an atheist, that thing wouldn't have wasted its time. But I was, so it did. A whisper that ran cold on my back seemed to lock up my ear with four words that made my entire body run cold. You're going to hell. 
I don't know who was faster on the way down the stairs at me or Vanessa, but at some point I was dragging her after me and into the open air. We turned to search for the neighbors we left outside, only to find the entire street was now dark. There was no sign that anybody had ever been there at all. Vanessa took that information in, heading for the car, telling me to come up with an explanation for that. And honestly, to this day, I don't have one. I feel a little more open-minded after this event, and maybe as time goes on, I'll come to know the real truth. Perhaps my judgment of things in life is not all that accurate, given this new experience. I had always loved camping. There was something about being out in the wilderness, away from the noise and distractions of the city that brought me a sense of peace. So when my friends suggested we take a camping trip to a remote national park, I was all in. We arrived at the park in the late afternoon and set up camp in a clearing deep in the woods. The sun was setting and we huddled around the campfire, roasting marshmallows and telling ghost stories. It was the perfect start to our trip. But as the night wore on, things started to get strange. It started with a rustling in the bushes, which we dismissed as a deer or some other animal. But then we heard footsteps and whispers and the sound of twigs snapping underfoot. At first, we thought it was just our imaginations playing tricks on us. But then we saw something moving in the shadows, watching us from the edge of the clearing. It was too dark to make out any details, but we could tell it was something big, and it was getting bolder by the hour. We tried to ignore it, telling ourselves that it was just a bear or a wolf, but deep down we knew something was wrong. The air was thick with an oppressive feeling of unease, and we couldn't shake the feeling that we were being watched. As the night wore on, the sounds grew louder and more frequent. We heard growling and snarling and the sound of claws scraping against tree bark. We tried to stay calm, but our nerves were frayed and we were on edge. It was then that we realized we were not alone in the woods. There was something out there, something watching us, and it was getting closer. We huddled together, our hearts pounding in our chests, as a creature emerged from the shadows. It was like nothing we had ever seen before. A hulking mass of fur and muscle, with gleaming eyes and razor-sharp teeth. We ran, our screams echoing through the forest as we fled into the night. We didn't stop until we were miles away from the campsite. And even then, we could still feel its eyes on us. In the days that followed, we tried to make sense of what had happened. We reported the incident to the park rangers, but they dismissed it as a bear sighting. But we knew what we had seen, and we knew it was something far more terrifying than any ordinary animal. From that day on, I could never go camping again without the nagging feeling that something was watching me from the woods. And even now, years later, I can still hear the sound of twigs snapping underfoot and the growl of the creature that haunted our dream. I always thought I had seen it all. As a ranger at the National Park, I had patrolled some of the most remote and secluded areas of the wilderness. But nothing could have prepared me for what I stumbled upon one evening. It was just another routine patrol, or so I thought. The sun had already set, and the thick trees surrounding me cast long shadows on the ground. 
I was making my way through a dense section of the park when I noticed something strange. There, in the middle of the woods, was a staircase. It wasn't like any staircase I'd ever seen before. It was old, made of stone, and looked like it had been there for centuries. But what was even stranger was that it seemed to lead nowhere. It just went up and ended abruptly in mid-air. Curiosity got the better of me, and I decided to climb the stairs. As I reached the top, I felt a strange sensation, like the ground beneath me was shifting. When I looked around, I realized I was no longer in the same place. The woods looked different, and I couldn't recognize any of the trees or landmarks around me. It was then that I saw an abandoned cabin in the distance. It looked like it had been left untouched for years, and there was an eerie silence that surrounded it. I approached the cabin slowly, trying to be as quiet as possible. As I peered through the window, I saw something that made my blood run cold. Inside the cabin, there were various scientific instruments and research papers scattered around. But what caught my eye was a cage in the corner of the room. It was empty, but it looked like it had been used to contain something large and dangerous. As I continued to explore the cabin, I found more evidence of some kind of cryptid. There were photographs of strange creatures that could shape, shift, and blend in with their surroundings. It was unlike anything I had ever seen or heard of before. Suddenly, I heard a sound coming from outside. It was a low growl, and it sounded like it was getting closer. I quickly realized that I had to get out of there. But as I turned to leave, I found that the cabin had disappeared and... I was lost in the woods. I tried to retrace my steps, but everything looked different, and I couldn't find my way back. As the hours turned into days, and the days turned into weeks, I began to lose hope. I was alone, lost, and afraid. The cryptid that had been studied in the cabin was nowhere to be seen, but I knew that it was out there somewhere. As the weeks turned into months, I began to lose my mind. I could hear strange noises and see things that I couldn't explain. I knew that the cryptid was toying with me and that it was only a matter of time before it made its move. I've always had a deep connection to nature that only grew through the years. During my last two years of high school, most of my friends moved out of state, so I started spending more and more time with the trees and less time with other people, even to the point that after spending a semester in a hot, crowded dorm, I decided college wasn't for me and dropped out. My parents were happy enough to see me, but I could still feel their discomfort with my educational decisions. I don't blame them. It just felt wrong as hardly the most well thought out or valid of arguments, but it was all I had to offer them at the time. I knew it wasn't enough, so I left. I quickly packed my bags, threw them in my car, and headed north with no particular destination in mind. After several hours on the road, the highway I was on narrowed and turned to dirt while the trees standing silent cynical along its meandering path got taller and darker. I drove slowly with the windows down, both to take in the incredible sights and to avoid careening off this dirt track clinging so desperately to the mountain. Once I rolled down my windows, I turned off my music. It felt out of place in the peaceful environment. My eyelids were getting heavier, the sun having long disappeared beneath the horizon, so I pulled off onto a little patch of dirt on the side of the road. I started getting ready to sleep, but 
When I looked out into the trees, I once again felt their call, so I left. Walking from the car, the silence was so potent it sucked the air from my lungs. This silence was ancient and sacred. I felt breaking it with any significant noise would be a great sin against the forces of nature. A gust of wind noiselessly made its way through the trees, stirring the lowest branches and tossing my hair in my face. On the wings of the silent wind I heard a sound so soft and natural it could perhaps only be heard because of the unnatural absence of background noise. It drew my attention to one particular tree a couple hundred feet from the road. All the trees were dancing to the silent rhythm of the wind, all except one. This one danced off-beat and irregularly to no particular rhythm. It seemed as if each branch had a mind of its own. Every bough twisted and writhed like an unfortunate worm on a fisherman's hook, the wood bending impossibly. The noise then seemed to form words in a language so old it had not been uttered for centuries at least. Yet I understood. They told me they lived in the silent spaces of the world, where their words could be heard. Once the world was full of silent spaces, spaces where animals and man alike instinctively knew no noise above a whisper was permitted, but humans had lost touch with their instincts, only some being able to feel the unspoken rules that govern all. I fell to my knees in silent reverence for the gods that once were and will be again. They have a plan, they said. We will return the world to how it once was when the gods reigned and silence owned large swaths of land. The hum of a motor accompanied by the sound of tires tearing up moist dirt ripped me from my state of pleasant reverence. I inhaled sharply and looked up to notice the first faint glow that changes the sky from black to dark blue before dawn warms the air and brings the sun. I returned to the road to get a glimpse of our invader, but when he saw me he quickly pulled over and got out of his car. Hey man, are you all right? He called while approaching. His voice cut through the air, shocking me into stunned silence for a second. Yeah, I'm fine, I whispered my voice seeming no less strange in the environment. My car is over there, just keep driving. Dude, you're covered in dirt. Your knees are clearly bleeding and you're shivering violently. I can't just leave you here. I'll call for help. I knew I couldn't let him call for help lest more people invade our sanctuary, our church. All right, I'll go with you. But can I please show you something first? He was clearly skeptical, but given that he seemed to have a good 100 pounds on me, he probably thought I wasn't much of a threat, and so he nodded his head and followed where I beckoned. He so clearly wanted to help and seemed like a good guy, so I thought I would induct him into my newfound religion and have him help with the mission assigned by them. When we finally reached the tree, I grabbed him by the shoulder and pointed, hoping he would grasp all that I did. He shot me a puzzled look, so in a whisper as quiet as I could manage, I said, this is our connection to the gods. All right, I'm getting you help, he cried in a voice far too loud to be tolerated. I knew immediately that this transgression would need to be punished. He quickly turned towards the road and made return, in his haste stepping on leaves and branches, increasing his sins and sealing his fate. Given his determination to get back, he didn't hear me pick up the branch or close the gap between us. 
He gave a soft grunt when the wood connected with the base of his skull and fell silent at last, ceasing his transgressions. I dragged the body of the offender back to the base to the base of the tree. It just felt right, and once his skin touched the bark, the tree reacted. Almost instantly, Roots broke the damp soil and coiled around what was once a human being. Pencil. Thin roots carved into his body by the hundreds, tunneling in and out and back in again, giving his flesh the appearance of a very wormy apple or wood afflicted by termites. Within minutes, the fresh corpse was desecrated and nearly mummified, bringing a smile to my lips as I felt my connection to the gods increase. The voices started back up with renewed vigor, and my mission was made clear to me. The next one needs to be alive. I live in Evanston, Illinois, just north of Chicago. I was asked by my mother's friend to move some stuff to a storage unit nearby. I had not been working because of pandemic, and the pay was decent, so I went ahead and agreed. It was raining all day off and on, but at times it got so heavy that I couldn't transfer boxes from my car to the unit. So I just get comfortable inside the unit and listen to some music while I wait for the rain to clear up. It's cozy in there. To be honest, and the rain just keeps getting worse. It's not very cold out, though. I'm just chilling when I start hearing this banging noise from nearby. It sounds like something hitting metal at first. I think that maybe there was a car accident on the nearby highway, North Lincoln Ave Highway 41, but then I realized it was coming from the other direction, and I really don't want to go outside and get wet. I tell myself that someone probably dropped something, like nothing serious, but I continue hearing various banging noises. I still didn't bother checking, but as it continues, I decide to check it out since the rain had let up a bit. I walk outside and turn the corner and see this massive hole in the fence, leading to a little wooded area at the North Shore Channel Trail. I see this white thing moving near and under the dumpster by the fence. I'm thinking that it was a large white garbage trash bag, but it just doesn't look right. I'm confused and I'm trying to get like a closer look at the thing. I, uh, I may be about 100 feet or so away from it and I see something sticky out of it and it's making a clicking sound. I say, hello, who's that? I immediately regret yelling this out. Something big squeezes out from underneath the dumpster. It looks like a pile of fleshy tissue with spike-like protrusions. It stands four feet tall, but then it extends up to over six feet. It looks like a humanoid spider or other insect, but with white flesh. It doesn't have an exoskeleton, just smooth white flesh. The head is weird, kind of insect, like with no mouth that I could see. The eyes were human, like and had a reddish glow. It had long slits along the side of its head. It stood there, clicking and watching me. I could sense that it didn't want me there. I was wondering why I was still there and hadn't run off, but I was frozen in place and terrified. I had heard about the Chicago Mothman and was wondering if this may have been it, but it didn't resemble anything that I'd ever heard about. Then I felt a sudden rush of calm come over me, and I was able to break the trance I was in. I hauled ass back to the storage unit, locked it up, got into my car, and quickly left. When I looked back in the direction of the creature, it was gone. I returned the next day and finished unloading the boxes from the car as fast as I could. 
This happened in the spring of 2020. I haven't told anyone about this. Grew up in Detroit, Michigan. At an early age, both me and my brother started seeing ghosts or things we couldn't explain. But when I was in middle school, things started to get a little weirder. One night I woke up and couldn't fall back to sleep, so as I laid on my back, staring at the dimly lit ceiling from my nightlight, I felt my stomach turn. I looked out my bedroom door. My door was always open, and I could see partially into my parents' bedroom, and I thought one of my parents were coming out of the room, but it was a tall, six, seven-foot man with a brown jacket and brimmed hat. He walked straight towards me. Well, it was more like gliding, but I put my head under my covers and screamed for my parents. The light came on, and they asked me what happened. But when I told them, they chalked it up to being a nightmare. Well, this happened about four or five more times, and my mom started to believe me, but my dad wasn't really convinced that the brown jacket man was real. When I started high school, my dad had put two additions on our house, a huge back room and an entire second floor. Me and my brother shared the second floor during high school. The main big room was our bedroom, and we had a walk and closet bathroom. It was here where we had the scariest encounter of our lives. Our bed sat about four or five feet off the floor, and our room at night glowed a dark blue from our ceiling fan's blue light. And one night I was lying there trying to sleep when I heard the voice of a man, but it sounded sped up and playing backwards. I had heard this before with other encounters in our home, but it was coming from our closet bathroom. And that's when I heard my brother say, Dude, do you hear that? I was so relived that he was awake, but I couldn't believe he heard it too. So I replied the voice that sounds like it's talking backwards. Yeah, I hear it. We both sat up in our beds, and the voice kept talking. We started to hear footsteps with the voice, which was now pacing back and forth. Then the door handle started freaking out. I am getting chills just typing and rethinking about this. So I leaned over my bed rail so I could see the door handle shaking. My brother looked as if he was gonna jump out of his bed and run down the damn stairs. But then the door opened, and I instantly said, What do you see? because the way my brother's bed was positioned, he could see right into the closet. But he said he saw nothing in the doorway, and then slam! Now the door whipped shut, and he jumped out of bed and turned on the lights. We finally got our courage up and opened the door and checked both the closet and bathroom, but nothing was in there and the voice had ceased. We thought maybe it was one of our cats, but nothing was in there and the windows were shut too. I got back in my bed, and my brother stood next to me, and we talked about what the hell just happened, when suddenly I noticed something out of the corner of my eye. I was looking at my brother, but he noticed it too, because we both turned to look at the same time, and this white cloud-looking thing shot under our futon, and we both froze. We looked under the futon, but once again, nothing. We stayed up for a couple hours that night discussing what happened, and we still discuss it to this day. As time went on, the door handle would occasionally flip out again, and the door would open and slam. Some of my friends witnessed this as well. And me and my brother saw the hat man a couple of times in the early morning standing in the middle of our room. My dad would tell us, why would there be ghosts upstairs? I just built it. Why would it be haunted? 
My mom, however, finally believed us one day as I stayed home sick from school. We were watching a movie in the family room, which was right under me in my brother's bedroom. And we heard the closet door fly open upstairs, and something ran across the room and then ran back to the closet, and it slammed closed. My mom turned her head to me, and she freaked out. What EFF was, that she said, and I just replied with C. I told you. Other things were often heard, too. I would often hear a little girl laughing or talking. She would even say my name from time to time. One time she whispered hi into my ear as I was laying in my bed one morning. My brother and I had a theory that ghosts were connected to this old baseball bat that was found in my parents' closet when they first moved in the house. It was a dark red wooden bat that had the year 1901 on it. We still have the bat, but my brother has since sanded it down and made it smooth with I did not agree with, but he did it anyway. We moved out of the house in the late 2000s, but the hat man followed, and so did some activity. No reverse-talking ghosts, though. Sometimes I thought of ringing the doorbell and asking the new family that lives there if they have experienced anything. The last time I saw the hat man was a few years ago, maybe 2012 or 2013. I was experimenting with lucid dreaming, astral travel, and one night I awoke with sleep paralysis, and sometimes I wouldn't see anything during sleep paralysis, and other times I would see shadow people or a black thing sitting on my chest. But this time the hat man was at the foot of my bed, and he had two children with him, one at each side. Both of these kids looked old-timey. They were dressed as if they wee, from the early 1900s. One was a boy maybe around the age of 10, 12, and he had an old-looking suit on, and the other was a little girl in a white dress. She was probably six, seven years old, and I instantly thought that's the girl that said hi. And then they vanished. I'd been working as a park ranger for many years and had always heard rumors about the mysterious creature known as Bigfoot. Most dismissed it as a myth, but there were enough sightings over the years to make me curious. One night, while on patrol, I saw something moving in the distance. I approached cautiously, my flashlight shining on a huge, hairy creature standing over eight feet tall. It was Bigfoot. I couldn't believe it the creature that had been the subject of countless legends was standing right in front of me, and it was angry. It charged at me, and I instinctively pulled out my knife, ready to defend myself. The creature was strong, but I was fast and managed to dodge its attacks. I swung my knife with all my strength and landed a hit on its chest. It roared in pain, but didn't back down. We battled for what seemed like an eternity, until finally... I landed a fatal blow. Bigfoot stumbled back, and I watched as it collapsed onto the ground motionless. I was both scared and amazed at what I had accomplished, but my victory was short-lived. As I made my way back to the station, I noticed that something wasn't right. I was injured, and the wounds were getting worse by the minute. I knew that Bigfoot had hurt me more than I realized. I stumbled through the woods trying to make it back to the station, but it was too late. I collapsed on the ground, my strength fading away. I could hear the sound of my colleagues' voices in the distance, but it was too late. The injuries were too severe, and I knew that I was going to die. As I lay there, I thought about my life and all the things I had accomplished. 
I had always loved my job and felt honored to protect the park and all its inhabitants, but I never imagined that my encounter with Bigfoot would be my downfall. In the end, I died alone in the woods, a victim of a creature that most people didn't even believe existed. But I knew the truth, and I hoped that my story would serve as a warning to others who dared to venture into the unknown. The park could be a beautiful and peaceful place, but it was also full of danger, and sometimes that danger could be too much to handle.